This is the Blaze Radio On Demand. You're listening to the Church Boys Freefall Q&A. It's Billy Hollowell, and I'm here today with Josh McDowell. I'm, I'm really excited to talk with you, Josh. How, how are you doing? I am doing incredible. <laughs> Yesterday was fantastic. The day's even better. Well, that's good. That's good. Let's you know jump in. I'm excited to talk with you about your new book, God Breathe, The Undeniable Power and Reliability of Scripture. Uh, let me ask you first, what what was it that you know, led you to write this book? What was the catalyst? Well, back when I was in university, I set out to write my first book, uh, New Evidence That Demands a Verdict Against Christianity to Silence the Christian Students and Professors. And I was very bitter. I was very angry. From 6 to 13 years of age, for 7 years, every single week, I was homosexually raped for 7 years. And it just about destroyed my life. And it was in my own home. And so... In university, when I met these students and professors, and I asked them, why are you so different? What changed your lives? And they said, Jesus Christ. And I just laughed at them. I thought, you got to be kidding. Well, they challenged me to intellectually examine two things, the Scriptures as being true in the Word of God and Christ being the Messiah, the Son of God. And I thought that was the biggest joke I'd ever heard. But they made me so mad I did it. So I took and traveled all through the United States, England, Germany, France, Switzerland, and the Middle East, gathering the evidence to write evidence of man's verdict against Christianity. And I went to Oxford, Cambridge, Birmingham, London, Paris, and all, to look at the manuscripts and the scrolls to show that they were not trustworthy, that anything based on them would be false. And in the process, in a lecture, I came to the conclusion they were true. And I fought against it for a while and returned to the university. And that Friday night, I uh, asked Christ to come into my life as Savior and Lord. Nothing happened overnight, but in about six months, my life was changed. And I always dreamed then that someday I would have the resources or the ability to get some of these artifacts, ancient manuscripts and scrolls that I could use to teach others the things that I learned as a non-believer to make a joke of the Bible. Well, four years ago, I came into possession of one of the rarest scrolls in existence, and then last December 5th and 6th, we uncovered about 200 manuscripts, of which six looks like they're the oldest ever discovered in the New Testament. And there's such a new discovery of biblical evidence, it's like a tsunami. So I said, I want to write a book. And this is the purpose of God Read. I want to write a book to share with people the incredible discoveries being made and how significant they are, and then the bridge from these artifacts, these discoveries, into the power of God's in one, God in one's life. Let me and ask you called God Breathe. Let me ask you about, about some of these about some of these artifacts and, and texts. Have you encountered anything that I mean, obviously, you've been in ministry for for five decades, and and you've you've seen. I mean, really, you've you've seen so much in ministry. Have you been encouraged in your faith? You know, and if so, in what ways have these um, artifacts and findings helped encourage your faith along? Well, first of all, just the abundance of it. it it's like one scholar said; it's almost embarrassing for a Christian. There's so many new discoveries. Uh, it's like a tsunami 
when I came out with evidence of man's ability, because they would document 24,633 manuscripts and scrolls of the scriptures, now I can document 66,420 plus. It, it's incredible. And so that has been very encouraging. But more than that, like one uh, scholar said, we now have the literal words of Jesus, the literal words of the Apostle Paul in the New Testament. And what he was saying is, in these 66,000 scrolls and manuscripts, there are, we now have the literal words of Christ. Now, we know probably 95% for absolute certainty. But in the next six, seven years at the most, we would probably be able to come out with a New Testament with the exact words of Jesus and Paul and the entire New Testament. Who ever dreamed that would even be a, a possibility or a thought uh, or a potential to do that? So that is extremely encouraging to me to know that in my lifetime, we will probably have the literal words of Jesus. Now, the scrolls that you have, you said they came into your possession. Um, can you tell us, they haven't been released, right? But can you tell us what, what's in those scrolls? Yes, I have five scrolls, of which one is the most valuable one. I call it the Lot Scroll. It's 72 feet long, and it's a Lot's Torah, which means Torah is the first five books of the Bible. Uh, or it's called the Pentateuch or the Law of Moses. But the amazing thing about this scroll is that the village was so poor they couldn't afford their own scribe and they couldn't afford a new scroll. So when this scroll should have been decommissioned 300 years ago and buried, it wasn't. And so once a year they bring in a rabbi to do any of the, repair any damages, make any corrections, and to re-ink. See, once the ink starts to fade, they would decommission the scroll and you'd get a new one. But this one here, they just kept re-inking it. As a result, we have so many things contained in this scroll that's lost in others that have been buried. And so, just an example, 304,805 letters. How in the world do you know if they're accurate? Well, this is what they would do. When they'd finish, it would take them two to three years to copy a Torah. They would bring in special scribes, and they would count every single letter. And they knew that in uh, Leviticus 11.33, I believe it is, is the center letter of the entire scroll. So they count 152,402 letters. And praying to God, the next letter, number three, is the center letter. If it's not, they couldn't use the scroll until they found it and corrected it. Then they would start with that center letter and count 152,402 letters. And the last letter, 402,000, 402, better be the last letter, or they can't use a scroll. No one ever did that with any other literature in history. And yet they did it because they were so committed to accuracy. And in the book, I described this with photographs, everything, of how this scroll and the others were discovered, their significance, and uh, what it says to us today. How old, how old are the scrolls? This scroll uh, was done before 1450 A.D., and it was very easy to determine that. And it was done on the German-Polish border because the ink is dark brown. It looks black, but it's dark brown, 
and that's the only place they use dark brown ink. And uh, so it's about 550, 600 years old, which is old for a scroll. Yeah, that, that's that's amazing. Um, well, let me ask you this because you know I mentioned you've been obviously, and people people know you and your ministry and how long you've been around. There's so much going on right now in culture in America, and you know I think the the striking thing is you have a lot of atheists saying, "Oh, look, we're growing." The atheist activist movement is growing, and and there's definitely truth to the fact that skepticism is on the rise in America. I think sometimes the activists, um, you know, they pump up those numbers a little bit. But, you know, you, you turn on primetime TV, you can tell there's something going on um, in culture. What, what do you think is driving that skepticism in America? Well, I, I think there's a number of things. One, the Internet, which I love. How do you worship God without an iPad? <laughs> but uh, not my iPhone that I'm looking at. How do you worship God without an iPhone? But... Uh, <laughs> The Internet has exposed Christians, and I like it personally, to arguments and issues about the reliability of the Bible, Jesus, the resurrection, everything, that most people never even thought of until the last couple of years of university. Now at 11, 12, 13 years old, they're confronted with it. And I think it's great, because I think it will force the church to go younger and younger and younger, and not teaching the truth of Scripture but teaching how in the world do you even know it's true? How do you know it's reliable? Uh, the evidence is incredible, but Christians don't know it. And that's another reason I did the book, is that believers and non-believers could just get a little taste of the evidence that's out there and its credibility. So that's one of the reasons. The other is I think the church as a whole, we've blown it. Um... I don't think we've raised true disciples of Jesus who not only believe it, but they live it. And again, I think this is healthy. I think it's going to force the church all over the world to start creating true disciples of Christ who not only know what they believe, but they know why they believe it, and they experience it in their lives. And that's a I really would say those are two of the biggest reasons. I was gonna say that's a really good point. I think a lot of Christians, and I've fallen into this camp before too, which is why I started taking some seminary classes, because I wanted to understand better. You sort of grow up with it and you don't you can't really answer some of the key questions as to why or how or what's the proof. And you know, like you said, you get in these conversations with people online or wherever and you can't really defend it beyond this is what I grew up with and this is what I believe, and so, and that's not enough. Um, let, let me ask you, because you were obviously, I mean, you you were trying to disprove God at one point. You didn't believe in God before uh, you you entered into ministry. What was the key moment for you? You, know, you? you described that journey a little bit, but was there a key moment? Was there something that it just clicked that you heard it and you said, oh my gosh, now I have to change? Intellectually, I concluded that I could trust the Bible. And I concluded that Jesus Christ not only claimed to be God, but there was sufficient evidence to support his claims to be in God. And I learned that Christianity is not a religion. That's men and women working their way to God through good works, religious ritual. Those things are important, but they come after you know Christ. And it was a Saturday night in my dorm room. I had so, tried so hard to refute Christianity, and I couldn't. 
And that Saturday night, I leaned back in my chair and I realized that if I were the only person alive, Jesus still would have died for me. That is what took me from the evidence into a relationship. Was that a was that moment profound? I mean, were you thinking, "Oh my gosh, I don't want to believe this, but I have to"? I mean, what what was that process like? Because I know some people go through that where they're like, "Wait a minute, I've oh. been an atheist, and now all of a sudden I have to believe this because I have no other option." What what does that feel like? Well, I had this incredible emotional experience and a boat of life for heaven. I said, "Oh no, someday I'm going to be interviewed by the Blaze." <laughs> And, and I panicked. No. Uh, don't, don't let that go to your head. I won't. Uh, I won't. No, it was, it was over a period of time. Because when I went to Europe, looked at the manuscripts, looked at the scrolls to refute them, mentally, intellectually, little by little, my, my arguments started to fall apart. And so it was kind of gradually building up like a frog in a kettle. When all of a sudden I realized it's true, and then I realized if it is, then what does it say about me and what I need to do? And that's the thing with the book, uh, my new book, God Breathe, is that it lays out the relational aspects of truth. Uh, And if I hadn't realized that, I don't, I, I'm not sure what would have happened to my life. But it's when you come into that relationship, which God used the intellectual and these manuscripts and all to bring me to that point, that that's when God the Holy Spirit comes into your life and starts changing you from the inside out. And that's how I wanted to share uh, with people who read the book, that it's not just intellectually satisfying, it is emotionally, relationally transforming. But, you know, they can go to this website. It's called Read God Breed, R-E-A-D, readgodbreed.com, and they can download a free booklet. It's kind of like behind the scenes where they can get pictures, and I describe some of the unique things of these ancient artifacts and how they relate to truth in the scriptures and the person of Christ. So they can just go to readgodbreed.com, and they can download it free. And we'll make sure that we, we link out in our story for people to be able to do that. What what would you say the biggest takeaway, and I think we've talked a little bit about this, but I'm, I'm curious, you know, if somebody sits down, they read your book, they read God Breathed, what do you want to be the one thing that they take away and they leave that book thinking and feeling? It's intellectually satisfying, and it's relationally transforming. If they walk away with those two things, then they'll want to become part of the answer, not part of the problem. So, you know, you look at you look at all of the things that are happening, right? And you see the panic that some people have and, and they're a little afraid, you know, because you see sort of this move towards more secularism, this move away from God in some way. You know, how would you address that with Christians who are afraid of it and worried oh, about the future? I would say we need to get involved. One If you truly know Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, then you will walk it. It will show in your life. And the reason so many people are going into skepticism is not the lack of evidence. It's the lack of knowledge of the evidence. And that is so important. 
there's more evidence now than there's ever been in the history of the world on, on both the scriptures and Christ. And I document a lot of that in the book. Um, so I would say to believers, you've got to reach out to non-believers and listen to their story. Hear, hear what they're saying. Then relate your story and be ready to answer their questions. If that takes place, there's no room for fear whatsoever. Listen, Josh, this has been great, and we're going to make sure we link out to your book. And we want, I want to talk to you again soon. We definitely want to have you back and, and talk with you. I always enjoy your insight and appreciate you taking the time. Well, thank you. When you see Glenn, tell him I said hi. <laughs> I will. I will. All righty.